0: Okay, Obadiah, verse 14, and I trust you have a copy of the handout that's at the back. Verse 14 is the last verse in the subunit that includes verses 12 and 13. These three verses are distinguished by the very same initial word, In the Hebrew text, the word is al, and you have it on your handout, which means not, as in the English translation at the beginning of those verses, do not. Now, there are eight of these negatives, eight negative clauses spanning verses 12 to 14. Three in verse 12, three more knots in verse 13, and the final two in verse 14. The recursive negative, now when I use that word recursive, you understand it means repetitive. The recursive negative binds these three verses together. And it jumps out at you when you look at the Hebrew text because that first word at the beginning of each of those verses is al, al, al. But we have also pointed out the bracket feature of the final words of verse 12 matching the final words of verse 14. And as you look at those two verses, the last words, of verse 12 in the day of distress matching the last words of verse 14 in the day of distress. So we placed a bracket around 12 and 14 for actually two reasons. The negative, the emphatic, repetitive negatives and now the terminal in the day of distress in 12 and 14. Esau's complicity in the distress and destruction is echoed and re-echoed by way of the light that is the key word, <clears throat> day, 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 yom, 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 the day of Judah's collapse. There are eight references to that fateful day, once again in this section, verses 12 to 14. Four in verse 12 3 in verse 13, 1 in verse 14. The word day brings this small subunit into connection with verse 11. For you will notice that verse 11 also contains the Hebrew word yom, which means day. And it appears there in verse 11 two times. All right, now... <clears throat> The conclusion of all this assessment of the language and the repetitive style of the prophet here, the conclusion is that from verses 11 to 14, Obadiah is featuring the animosity of Esau for brother Jacob on the day, Yom, of destruction, namely 586 BC. But you will notice that this animosity had been announced explicitly in verse 10. So we have a larger unit entailing Esau's hostility to his nation twin, stretching from verses 10 to 14. Esau against Jacob, verses 10 to 14. And so you can label that unit. But then we recall we have a unit detailing God's opposition to Esau, verses 1 to 9. So we observe once more the prophetic narrative continuity, which joins this inspired tapestry in a seamless tableau. God's enmity against Edom, In Panels, verse 1 to verse 9, Esau's enmity against Jacob in Panels, verse 10 to verse 14. Now, verse 15 will bring a shift, a shift in the prophetic narrative and a shift in the prophetic arena, if not a shift in prophetic idiom, but. I will have more to say about that when we examine the 15th verse. So the large kind of structure that we've reached and assessed so far is that the prophet begins with God's case against Esau, and then he follows with Esau's case against Jacob. And that brings us to verse 14. That is a seamless prophetic narrative. It is a seamless visionary prophetic narrative because, as we've tried to emphasize, he is giving you pictures, a visionary a depiction of what happens throughout all those verses in those two major sections. Alright. What crimes of Edom against Jacob are specified in verse 14? the crime of refusing sanctuary to fugitives and the crime of refusing freedom to survivors. Two crimes charged against Brother Esau and the nation of his descendants, the Edomites. There are two panels on our tapestry portraying these two acts of treachery by a blood brother. First is Edom at the crossroads outside Jerusalem, cutting down persons fleeing the flames and the death and the carnage of the raising of Jerusalem by Babylon. Fraternal charity would have offered survival, life, not death. Life and not death to their blood relations. Protection, defense, sanctuary, that would have been the expectant of a blood relative. Instead, Brother Esau stands at the forks of the roads to kill, to murder, or to hand over to death those escaping death this brutal treachery is the heartless reverse of brotherly relation and compassion and here is how it is rehearsed by jeremiah in his lamentations chapter 4 verses 18 to 19 Listen to how the weeping prophet intones this very treachery. They hunted our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were finished, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than eagles of the sky. They chased us on the mountains. They waited in ambush for us in the wilderness. Inside Jerusalem. Entering inside through the gates, as Obadiah verse 13 indicates. But also outside Jerusalem. Standing outside at the forks in the roads. Obadiah verse 14. Inside and outside we behold Esau. Brother Esau refusing mercy to the fugitive survivors of 586 BC, but cutting them down. Cutting them down with death. Now the second <coughs> crime here is Esau at the crossroads, capturing and imprisoning survivors. This tableau of our tapestry depicts sons and daughters of Jacob seized, imprisoned, parceled off, perhaps likely to slavery, perhaps to permanent imprisonment, perhaps even to death as well. The term casting lots that you'll notice up in verse 11. That term, casting lots, may reflect the enslavement of some of the fugitives from the fall of Jerusalem. That is, the sale of the survivors to the highest bidder as determined by a throw of the dice. Human life as cheap. Human life as cheap. While slavery makes the seller wealthy. The powerful oppress the helpless. The vulnerable become tools for the enrichment and power displays of the moguls and power brokers of the day. Our tableau portrays the slave auction with the chains and the ropes securing the fugitive captives and the ever-present lash of the whip and the endless exchange of cash, cash for human flesh, cash for a brother's flesh, cash for a human person made in the image of God. Cash. For a person made in the image of God, for freedom. Not bondage. Cash for a person made in the image of God, for emancipation, not degradation. Cash for a person made in the image of God, for liberty, not slavery. But Edom is lust for cash as all slave sellers, owners, markets lust for cash. Now verse fifteen inaugurates a new section in Obadiah's visionary prophetic tapestry, not merely because, as we have indicated, verse 14 ends a unit of his prophetic narrative, but here the perspective shifts. The verse 15 panel of our tapestry features not Edom alone, but Edom among, notice the phrase, all the nations. All the nations. The concatenated day, which connects verses 11 to 14 to verse 15, is hooked in transition from nationalistic to universalistic scope. From tiny Edom to all the nations of the world. This is definitely a shift in theme It is a shift in motif. It is a shift in narrative. Verse 15 marks a prophetic narrative visionary shift. And as if to signal that, the Hebrew text marks this shift in perspective with two successive verses which begin with the same Hebrew word. The Hebrew word key and the all powerful key clause in Hebrew grammar and narrative. The causal particle in Hebrew, which you have on your outline, key can be translated by a number of English phrases for this reason, because for, therefore all of those are possible as English Equivalence, but notice what I'm emphasizing here. Verses 15 and 16 begin with that key word and a clause which follows it. So that when the initial word in a verse is repeated, we have a potential shift in direction In the poet's narrative, the poet's song, as a case of the Psalter, the poet's imagery, we watch for these clues to how he composes his uh, work, his inspired work. We've noticed the three alls in 12, 13, and 14. Now we have two keys in verses 15 and 16. These are hints at his literary style. These are hints at his rhetorical flourish. These are patterns which he has placed in his uh, text in order to signal to his audience. Remember, this is generally speaking an oral audience. They listen. They hear with their ears. And their ears tell us something new is coming. Key, key. Something new is coming. Something different than what we have been hearing before. All right. Now we know that we have entered this new section of Obadiah's prophetic book because these two verses, 15 and 16, these two verses in the whole book, all 21 verses, are the only two verses to begin with that word key. They are distinct. The Semitic ear, in listening to this prophecy being read, would have immediately been struck by the fact that back to back he has two key verses, two key clause verses. Key, key, to use a pun in English, a key to a shift in meaning. Now, in addition... As the word day ends a string of ten concatenations of that term, hooking verse 15 to verses 11 to 14, verse 15 being number 11 occurrence of that Hebrew word yom or day, this verse resumes what we may label the syncopated pattern of concatenation, which we observed in verses 7 to 11. So day repeats itself from the previous verse, verse 14, but all the nations recurs in verse 16 as it does in verse 15, hooking together then the tapestry panel in verse 14 to verse 15 and the panel in verse 15 to verse 16. He has this shift From day, day, day as his pattern of repetition, recursive (coughs) symmetry. Now he goes back to adding a phrase when he has a previous duplication. Day in verse 14, day in verse 15, all the nations now in verse 15, but it will be repeated in verse 16 and we'll go on with that concatenation pattern down to verse 20. We pointed out before that the opening six verses of their parallel symmetry are shifted by the concatenation that begins in verse 7, carries through to verse 11, then is set aside apparently by the duplication of the word day. But now here in verse 15, he picks up the concatenation pattern once again, and he begins to syncopate the connection between his verses until he reaches verse 20. This is not accidental. This is an intentional, seamless rhetorical device. He is holding the attention of his audience as they hear it read because they will pick up with their ear what they heard in the previous verse and add another thing that they'll pick up in the next verse and so on until the end of the book or at least until verse 20. All right, so we're back in this pattern of concatenated symmetry. Our tableau, however, is significantly enlarged. Verse 15 paints or portrays a panel which is larger than what we have seen before. Enlarged from one oppressor of God's people to the world of oppressors of God's people. From one oppressor. Edom to the world of oppressors. We may even say that the one concatenation, all the nations, is mimetic or imitative of the other. The smaller oppressor mirrored in the larger oppressor and vice versa, the larger oppressor mirrored in the smaller. Oppressor. That's the mimetic element, the imitative element. If Edom has joined the nations in judging the nation of Judah to destruction, then the nations will join Edom in being judged to destruction in kind. This is Obadiah's formulation of the biblical principle called the lex talionis, Latin for the law of retaliation, the law of retaliation. Notice the middle line of verse 15. It expresses the lex talionis perfectly. As you have done, so it shall be done to you. This is the premise of equal justice, so basic to the all-just God of Scripture. What you sow, you shall reap, as the inspired apostle formulates this principle in Galatians 6-7. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, as Moses expresses it, In Exodus 21, verse 24, the judges shall investigate thoroughly and do to him who accused his brother falsely as he intended to do to the brother he falsely accused. Moses, once again, by way of paraphrase of Deuteronomy 19, verses 18 and 19. This is the vengeance of the Lord as babylon had done to others so others do to babylon and i want us to take note of this in jeremiah chapter 50 so turn back keep your finger in obadiah and turn back to jeremiah chapter 50 and let's take a look at what god says through the prophet jeremiah in chapter 50 <clears throat> verse 15 Context is taken from verse 14. The prophet is projecting, draw up your battle lines against Babylon. Verse 15, raise your battle cry against her on every side. She has given herself up, her pillars have fallen, her walls have been torn down, for this is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her. As she has done to others, so do to her a virtual echo of Obadiah 15. Jeremiah is not done. You turn over to verse 29. What chapter are you in? Jeremiah chapter 50, 5-0. Chapter 50, I was reading from verse 15, and now verse 29. Verse 15 underscores the vengeance of God against Babylon. Verse 29 continues and adds another feature. There is a sound of fugitives and refugees from the land of Babylon. I told you it was mimetic. Fugitives and refugees from Babylon to declare in Zion the vengeance of the Lord our God, vengeance for his temple. Notice, not just the city, not just the land in 586 B.C. It's not just that that God will lex talionis. It is his temple. It is his kadosh karoshim in Hebrew, holy of holies. It is his resting place. It is his footstool. For the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies is as the throne of God. The cherubim with their eyes bent and their wings extended, shielding and guarding the footstool of the throne of the radiant and glorious Yahweh. Vengeance for my temple, saith the Lord. There's one more passage that connects with this theme of God taking vengeance upon the nations who took vengeance on his people. And that's from Ezekiel chapter 35, verse 15. You don't need to look it up. I'll read it to you. As you, O Mount Seir, Aha, Mount Seir, the region of Edom, descendants of Esau. As you, O Mount Seir, rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate. So I, the Lord, will do to you. You will be a desolation and then they will know that I am the Lord. Now we turn to the modern commentaries on the book of Obadiah. And one modern liberal commentator writes this about verse 15. Quote, This does not help the modern believer finding such material in the Bible. Unquote. Our modern liberal, as all liberals, does not like the notion of an equitably just punishment for a morally unjust crime. He would be in the vanguard of those very modern liberals who label murder of certain persons good deeds, even as they label torching of neighborhoods acts of freedom and liberation. Of course, This piranha ultimately devours itself, for in time the abettors of criminal injustice become the victims of the injustice they have abetted. As you have done, modern liberals, so it shall be done to you. We may even observe, as you have cheated to gain power, so you will be cheated of the power you hoped to gain. Do not doubt the providence of God is still active in the world. And he still acts for justice. Every totalitarian state has collapsed under this rubric. It will happen again and again until kingdom come, as you have done unjustly. So it will be done to you and you will be consumed by the injustice that you have unleashed. Thus saith the Lord and you will know that I am God. The lex talionis. a principle of equitable punishment. Equitable punishment. The just and fair punishment fits the unjust and unfair crime in proportion. Not in excess. Not meting out more punishment than the crime deserves. Not in absence. Not giving less punishment or even no punishment fitting to the crime. Equitable punishment. The equity of due proportion, just and appropriate punishment for the unjust and inappropriate crime. That is the rule our Lord administers here to Esau, whose retaliatory national punishment will mirror the divine and equitable and just punishment of the nations whom Edom imitated. These mutual, mimetic, reciprocal oppressors of the people of God will be mutually, mimetically, reciprocally oppressed by the God of his people. Edom, who imitates Babylon in Judah 586 BC, will receive in turn what she has wickedly sown. She will be destroyed as she destroyed by the mirror oppressor she joined to perform her act of fraternal treachery. Babylon will do unto her as she did unto Judah and then Babylon as one of the nations of this 15th verse, Babylon will reap what she sowed. As you have done, O great Babylonian whore, So it shall be done to you. 539 BC. 539 BC. Less than 50 years later. Not even a half century. After laying her sword at the throat of Judah. The sword of Persia is laid at the throat of Babylon. Vengeance is mine. I shall repay saith the Lord, I will requite you, O Babylon, according to your evil deeds, even though you were my instrument of just judgment against the evil deeds of my own people. Nevertheless, as you did it unto them in enmity, brutality, and rapacity, so it shall be done to you in retaliation, along with All the nations whom I assembled on that great and terrible day of the Lord's final judgment. All the nations, Edom, Babylon, Moab, Philistia, Syria, Egypt, all who have persecuted the heads of my people, says the Lord, will have my just wrath return upon their heads. And so Obadiah prophesies the rule of equitable punishment and judgment to the nations who have oppressed and afflicted the Israel of God. In this, he is joined by the prophets Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Zephaniah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Joel and Amos And Hosea, the day of the Lord for all nations is the not yet eschatological finality of God dealing out just wrath and equitable punishment upon the nations who have trampled underfoot the blood of his saints. That day has been set. It will surely come. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Vengeance is mine. I will repay eye for eye, tooth for tooth, justice for injustice, lex talionis, and retributive justice. It is the warp and woof of Scripture. It is the warp and woof of Almighty God who is all just himself. Now, in conclusion of our examination of this 15th verse, let us consider some of the specifics, the specifics of the Lex Talionis vis-a-vis Edom as mimetically reciprocated in Obadiah's vision. The broad principle remains. As Edom had identified with those who brought Judah to destruction, so her identifiers will bring Edom to destruction. This is the clear sense of the phrase in verse 11. You as them or you too as they connected with the phrase in verse 15. It will return on your own head. The fraternal treason of Edom in violence against Jacob via the lex talionis will be the treachery of Edom's treaty brothers. Her allies, verse 7, wreaking violence against her, verse 9. Fraternal betrayal is repaid with fraternal betrayal. Edom, who scorned Judah with boastful and arrogant gloating, verse 12, will be repaid with contemptuous looks of scorn and boasting, verses 2 and 4. You have lifted up your pride to oppression. You will be repaid by humiliation through oppression. You, O Edom, laid evil hands on Judah in plunder, verse 13. By the law of equal retaliation, you will be plundered, ransacked, ruined by evil hands, verses 5 and 6. You gave over the fugitives of Judah to the enemy an act of fraternal deception in which you lay in ambush at the forks of the road, verse 14, so your just and equitable punishment will be no refuge for your fugitives in the day of your invasion, verse 7, a day in which you will be deceived in like manner and ambushed by your treaty partners. And finally, as you brutally cut down, Some of the survivors who escaped the downfall of Judah, verse 14, so you will be cut down by the brutal Babylonians from whom there is no escape, verse 9. Notice this remarkably balanced symmetry in this remarkable prophetic oracle. This is the vision of God's justice on the march. A vision that you know has been fulfilled in Old Testament history, in ancient Near Eastern history, in the history of the ancient world. Do you not believe that God will do it again? He has told you that there is coming a day of judgment for all the nations. He prophesied it here. He gave you a foretaste and anticipation of it in the fall of Babylon in 539 B.C., and on we go. History is replete with the lex talionis principle in action. As Assyria did to others, so it was done to Assyria. As Babylon did to others, so it was done to Babylon. As Greece did to others, so it was done to Greece. As Rome did to others, so it was done to Rome. As the Holy Roman Empire did to others, so it was done to the Holy Roman Empire. As Napoleonic France did to others, so it was done to France. As Germany did to others, so it was done to Germany. And on we go. The Lex. Talionis plays itself out in the sovereign hand of divine providence, a providence which can be read in the story of the nations. Yes, history is important because history is the story of the providence of God upon nations as well as upon individuals. We've come to the time for our break. Do you have any questions about filling in the blanks on the first page of your handout? Are any of you puzzled about what needs to be written in or what I was driving at in any of those uh, empty spaces? Good. You were able to follow uh, very well. Stretch your legs. Concatenated element which is present here. Concatenated would mean that it also precedes verse 16. Verse 16, having a successive recursion from verse 15. So what would that concatenated element be? What do you... Go ahead. Now, we're looking at the verse. Want an exact phrase? All the nations nations is the concatenated element. You see it repeated in verse 15 and verse 16. But then with concatenation, something is added which will recur in the next verse. So, what is added in uh, verse 16 that also will occur in the next verse namely verse 17 the holy the word holy correct <clears throat> the word holy draws out the concatenation from verse 16 to verse 17 so that once again we're reminded that he's shifted His paradigm, his rhetorical paradigm, he's moved back to a pattern of concatenation that he used in verses 7 to 11. You can go back in your handouts and notice that pattern. All right, there are some other patterns to observe here in this 16th verse. I'll call them patterns of recursion. We've already mentioned the key cause, which is the first one to note, because verses 15 and 16 begin with the same Hebrew word, the Hebrew word "key," which means "for" or "because," can sometimes mean "therefore," on or "for this reason." <clears throat> so that uh, initial uh, starting word, which is translated differently in uh, the New American Standard, uh, <clears throat> though it's translated all right, because either "because" or "for" is is acceptable, but <clears throat> it would have been a nicer if the New American Standard translator had been strictly consistent here and said, if they translated 15 for the day of the Lord, then verse 16, for just as you drank on my holy mountain. Or if they wanted because, then they should have translated verse 15, because the day of the Lord draws near, because just as you drank on my holy mountain. I'm quibbling here, but you understand my point. The Hebrew is very emphatic, and usually the New American Standard is quite consistent in the way they translate it. Translate Hebrew and Greek words, and it's one reason I prefer the New American standard to all the, the modern versions because it's it's ruthlessly to the point considered. Here's a part, here's a place where they fell down a little bit, and the place I would have improved on it and said, All right, now be consistent. What you chose for the first word of verse 15, is you choose that for the first word of verse 16, because it's the same Hebrew word. That's why. <laughs> Do it the same because it is the same. All right. Now, other patterns. There's another recursion here which is not just the word for or because, but there's another, another recursive phrase in verse 15 and 16. Let's see if you can pick it up. As I've hinted, it's a phrase. It's not exactly the same. No. Do you see the two words, as you, in verse 15? And as you, in verse 16, first line? Actually, it had better it would have been better to translate verse 15 with the way they translated verse 16 again, just as you. It's a single Hebrew word, ka'asher in Hebrew, and usually is translated just as. So you have another recursion that ties together 15 and 16. And finally, a recursion in the 16th verse alone. That is, it's not repeated in verse 15 and it, but it is repeated in verse 16 no less than three times. Do you see that word? Drink or drink. Drink or drink. Exactly. All right. so verse 16 has a lot of repeated or recursive elements tying it back to verse 15. Also, tying it ahead to verse 17, but demonstrating its own, shall we say, frequent repetition by emphasizing the drinking that occurred during the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, one more note. The very last line of verse 16, and became as if they had never existed. It's a very interesting Hebrew construction. It's a repetition, again, but a repetition of being and not being. We could say from Hamlet, to be or not to be. That's what Obadiah is suggesting here. Well, not quite exactly, but you get the idea. Being and not being. The Hebrew phrase literally can be translated, they have become as if they have not been. Existence and non-existence. Being and non-being. Well, let's begin with the antecedent of the pronoun you as we look at verse 16 in greater detail. Who is the you? Who is this? As you have done, so it shall be done to you. Just as you drank on my holy mountain, who is this? Go ahead, Terry. It's the Edomites, correct. So it's an address to the Edomite nation. What is the holy mountain? Verse 16. Remember Hebrew parallelism. It is Mount Zion of verse 17, which is Jerusalem, of course. I mean, Ben is right, but if you look at the parallelism, you notice that verse 16 will be answered by verse 70. In other words, he used a different vocabulary in order to enrich the imagery. Now, in drinking on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, which is Mount Zion, what was Edom doing? Why were they drinking on God's holy mountain? Well, there was a lot of drinking going on the other night. If you had to wait maybe until 2 o'clock in the morning, but there was a lot of imbibing the other night. Why? Celebrate. Celebration, yes. The Edomites were celebrating the destruction of the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem. And what else were they celebrating? The nation, the city, and Jeremiah fifty twenty nine. What was the prize in that city? Where was all the treasure? In the, oh, in, the in the temple, yes, in the temple. So they're drinking cheers, they're imbibing to the destruction of the nation, to the destruction of the city, and to the destruction of the house of the God of this nation. All right, our visual tapestry portrays this gala victory blast from drinking continually to drunkenness, to slurping booze till they stagger. I like the New American Standard margin there. Slurping booze till they stagger with vomiting, nausea, disorientation, inebriation to a deadly Stupor in which they become as if they had never existed. Edom reduced to a drunken sot because that is how she acted on the occasion of the fall of Jerusalem. And then Edom, a mirror of all the nations who will become as drunken sots. The nation of Edom, a mirror image of all the heathen nations. Our tableau portrays Edom reflected in the nations, the nations mirroring Edom. Edom drunk with a wine cup of destruction, the nations likewise drunk with a wine cup of destruction. For Edom was not alone on Mount Zion, drinking blubbering toasts at the death of ...of God's holy mountain city. Other nations raised their goblets, staggered through their vomit, fell asleep in death-like stupor. All the nations scornful and contemptuous of the Lord God, his people, his holy city, his holy of holies, all these nations will be just as Edom. They will be as if they never existed. But was not Judah, Jerusalem, and Mount Zion as if they had never existed when Babylon, Edom, and the nations finished with her in 586 B.C.? Weren't they as if they never existed? No, not really. The exile and return of remnant Judah differentiates the fate of Jerusalem from that of Edom or Babylon. Judah's remnant was preserved so as to bring to birth the eschatological seed of Jacob, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. With his incarnation, death and resurrection, the physical and earthly Israel has filled up its purpose. And the destruction of Judea and Jerusalem in 70 A.D., is the final act in the fate of that physical and earthly Israel. What then is preserved? Or what then endures? The very same thing which Obadiah prophesies 600 years before Christ and 700 years before the Roman destruction of Jerusalem. Notice the contrast between what will be as if it never existed here in verse 16, and what will be in verse 21. What will be in verse 21? What will be in verse 21? The kingdom will be the Lord. It's the very same Hebrew verb... It's the Hebrew verb to be, in English we would pronounce it hayah. It is a form of the verb to be in verse 16 and a form of the verb to be in verse 21. What will not be in verse 16 just opposed in radical contrast to what will be in verse 21, namely the kingdom of God. And that kingdom is temporal and a spatial. That is, the kingdom of God is not temporal, it is spiritual and eternal, and thus transcends the time of Judah's destruction in 586 B.C. and the time of Judea's destruction in 70 A.D. The kingdom of God is aspatial, that is, it is not confined to space. It is spiritual and infinite and thus transcends the spatial boundaries of Judah, the spatial confines of Jerusalem, the spatial limits of Solomon's temple, even as it transcends the spatial boundaries of Judea, the spatial confines of Jerusalem, the spatial limits of Herod's temple. The eternal and unbounded kingdom of God is not to be identified with any particular nation, any particular city, any particular piece of sacred real estate, nor was it ever intended to be. The physical nation of Israel, the physical city of Jerusalem, the physical temple of Zion, all of these were tangible expressions of an intangible world. Tangible expressions of an intangible world, God's world. God's eternal and spiritual world. The citizens of Israel were invited to citizenship in heaven. The residents of Jerusalem were summoned to a city without foundations, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews 12. The worshipers in Zion's temples, Solomon's, Haggai's, as enlarged by Herod, the worshipers in Zion's temple were beckoned to a templeless heaven a heaven where there is no temple for the Lord God almighty and the lamb are its temple revelation 21 that is what abides that is what is permanent that is what is eternal that is what is eschatological. And it is to that world, not of this world, it is to that world of the Lord God and of his Christ and of the Spirit, it is to that world that sinners in every era of this world, from fallen Adam to kingdom come, have been invited. Jacob's elect seed, Judah's elect sons and daughters. Jerusalem's elect children. God's chosen and elect out of Judea, the disciples of the Son of God, who has brought in an everlasting kingdom from every nation, tribe, and tongue under heaven. Jesus' kingdom, the Lord's kingdom, that is the true and real kingdom of God, which Israel Jacob, Judah, Jerusalem, temple, that is the true and real and everlasting kingdom of which the others were faint images, dim and cloudy figures, feeble and transient likenesses. They do not exist anymore. They do not exist anymore. For like Edom's kingdom... Babylon's kingdom and other kingdoms of the nations, they have passed away. The kingdom of life, the kingdom which lives, is the kingdom in which Jesus is alive. Kingdom of life, the kingdom which lives, is in the kingdom where Jesus lives. There, that is the everlasting, never-ceasing, ever-living never-dying kingdom of heaven that abides while this disappears in a fervent heat. This will be as if it never existed. That will endure as long as it has already endured from eternity unto eternity, from everlasting to everlasting. Because the God and Lord of that kingdom is eternal and everlasting himself. He is not earthly matter. Any questions? Any questions about the second page of the outline? What you needed to fill in there, if you... Didn't catch it. Yes, go ahead, Randy. The first word in verse 10, is that key to? Uh, I'm glad I brought my Hebrew text. <laughs> it is not. Uh, as I said, verses 15 and 16 are the only two verses which begin with the key clause. Yes, it's, it's, it's translated because, but there are other words that can be translated. I mean, there are over 5,000 Hebrew words in the Old Testament. Different Hebrew words. Okay, so you can have many synonyms. But the choice of the same word here in 15 and 60, key for because or for, is intentional. Because, because it would have indicated, as we, as we proposed, a shift. In the imagery. Right. You could use Greek words have more than multiple. Yes. Any, any yes, language has synonyms. Like that, yeah. Even English has many synonyms. That's the reason you have a, a thesaurus. Or well, the most famous thesaurus of synonyms, the Rodeo Synonym Finder. What a treasure! What a treasure! Monster volume, but boy, is it wonderful! It's better than Roger's. Rodeo. Did. Rogers, yeah, Rodale, R O D A L E, synonym finder. It's better than Roget, R O G E T, but Roget has an advantage over Rodale. It will give you the antonyms as well as the synonyms. So you can, you need both of them for the two purposes if you're going to do serious English work, writing, speaking, etc. Well, I didn't, I didn't mean to have you buy Christmas presents, but. I mean, you'd have to be busy, you know, doing word work and working with words to want to have those on your shelf. But, you know, as I say to my students, you need to have them on your shelf if you're going to be serious about doing word work. You're going to be serious about the imagery of the Bible, words of the Bible, and you using the imagery of those words in synonyms and antonyms, et cetera, elsewhere. Get the tools. Get the tools that will help you to do the work. You know, if you have tools to, you know... <clears throat> Put up an addition to your house or tools to rewire your electricity or whatever. You need tools to do the job, right? Well, preacher needs tools to do his work. And Rodale and Roger are two of the tools that will help him do the work better. If he doesn't have the tools on his shelf, he's a little bit lazy. No other questions? Yes, there. Uh, this doesn't have anything directly with the lesson, but it, the subject... You want me off topic? <laughs> A little bit. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I'm, happy to, I'm happy to go down rabbit trails. In, in geographical location today where Ian was, are, are the inhabitants there, are they Ishmaelites? Or- no, they're, they're descendants of the Idumeans or the Nabateans. In our in our first uh, uh, session on geography, we showed you the map of the current uh, lands there, and Edom is in modern-day Jordan. Right. And it had Jordan in the news, so the the peoples that drifted in there after Edom was destroyed, it, it was according to Obadiah, it was annihilated, and that's likely correct. <clears throat> and the vacuum was filled by the Arabian tribes, the desert Bedouin tribes from Western Saudi Arabia and they drifted in to that land <coughs> and became known later on as Idumaeans and Nabataeans. So they don't have any uh Jewish Semitic blood in them, okay, and descendants of Jacob or descendants, I should say, of Isaac and Abraham. So yes, they're a whole new different people group. And it's changed over the last 2,000 years as well. Okay. All right, well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we bless you again for the inspired word of your gifted and visionary prophet Obadiah. We thank you for this opportunity to think very carefully and seriously and wonderfully, giving thanks to you for it. Of his language, his imagery, the gift and skill of his writing, this poetry which breaks out into pictures and, and and tapestry panels, which show us the progress of your revelation and the death of two cultures, Judah and Edom both, Lord. we thank you that we belong to a culture of life, an eternal culture of eternal life, a heavenly culture of heavenly life. We thank you that the kingdom does belong to you, the kingdom which is as eternal as you are. Bless you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and your Spirit, who has made known his love and grace to us, and your fatherly care and compassion for our miserable estate. As we bless your name, we go on our way rejoicing that we too have been called the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. to say something about something. I think you'll figure it out. Yeah. you start sharper than some bowling ball.